So I'm excited. Um, again, this message this week I had I, I try to be super transparent with you all. Had a little bit of challenge coming into it. Came across what I would call an apparent contradiction in Scripture. An apparent contradiction is where you don't necessarily understand it. You don't necessarily see it. I prayed through it. I felt like I had resolution. But in order to pressure test my, I also call it a hypothesis with respect to how I was was reading Scripture, I, I floated the quandary, the apparent contradiction, past several pastors uh, here at MBT and asked them if they had heard me preaching on this topic before. All of them that I ran at past said they had not. All of them independently came to me with, or said that they came to the same conclusion that I did. So I feel pretty good. I feel like there's safety in the multitude of counselors here. I don't feel like I'm going far afield on the, on the content. Uh, but but there's, there's a, I, I guess you could call it a nugget of truth that we're going to try to mine a little bit today. So back in our, our, uh, in our victory in Exodus, so we're looking at things through the eyes of victory. Today it's going to be victory in supply. And I, I prayerfully considered a couple of different options on victory in uh, the word supply. Thought about provision, protection, we've talked about already. So there probably will come a point again where we have to use some of, reuse some of these words. But the situation, notice in Exodus chapter 9, starting in verse 3, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon the cattle which is in the field, upon the horses and upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, upon the sheep, and there shall be a very grievous murrain. And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt, and that there shall nothing die of all that is the children of Israel. Okay? And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died. All the cattle of Egypt died, but of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. So last week we talked about how God put a hedge of protection around the children of Israel, right? And we had this graph that was up there, or at least most of this was the same. First two um, uh, plagues, the blood and the frogs, the magicians were able to replicate it. The implications are that the children of Israel suffered through those plagues as, as well as the Egyptians. Don't know that dogmatically, but the implications are. And then we see the Egyptians unable to replicate uh, the lice. And the Lord created this separation between Egypt and the children of Israel and Goshen. He specifically calls that out. And from that point forward, the, the, the blackened chevrons uh, indicate that there was specific protection called out. The gold chevrons indicate that there was implied protection because of the description of where the plagues hit, right? That it hit the house of the Egyptians or the house of Pharaoh, implying that it did not hit uh, in the, the children of Israel. But we also saw that, there, that, the, that the magicians couldn't stand in, uh, or, well, we see that the magicians can't stand in the, uh, uh, around the boils. And then we also, we're going to actually talk about this next week, the first conditional plague of hail. But what, what we see right here is the death of the cattle that are described, right? That was what I just read. The death of the Egyptian cattle, okay? But so there's a little bit of, a, of, a, of, of an issue 
We see now look at Exodus 9 starting in verse 19. Same chapter. There is this new plague, the plague of hail. It says, Send therefore now and gather thy cattle and all that that, that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and every beast which shall be found in the field and shall not, uh, and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them and they shall die. And he that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle to flee into the houses. And he that regarded not the, Lord, uh, the word of the Lord and left his servants and cattle in, uh, um, and he that regarded not the word of the Lord uh, left his servants and his cattle in the field. And the Lord said to Moses, "Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, and there may be hail." So there's this apparent contradiction, because just a few verses earlier. In verse 6, it says, And the Lord did that thing upon the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died. And here we are 13 verses later, and the Egyptians have cattle. So this is the kind of thing that somebody who doesn't want to trust Scripture, that doesn't want to trust the Lord, will say, See, Moses couldn't even get the story right. Because one minute, all the cattle died. It specifically says all the cattle died. Or now we've got to, we're, we're p- positioned in a situation where we've got to try to re-classify re, uh, the word all. Right? We've got to spin it away. Or we've got to look at the, the Hebrew or Greek if it was in the New Testament. And, and you'll see pastors and you'll see teachers do that. Where they try to make an apology. They try to put a caveat. They try to put a big asterisk like Barry Bonds home run record. They put like like this 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 thing didn't really that's not what God meant. Well, then why did he say it like that? Because oh, thank you. Um, I always appreciate it when people <laughs> cheer when I'm preaching. So where did the Egyptian cattle come from if they all died? Where did they come from? What's your guess? Yeah, they, they confiscated the children of Israel's cattle. Because they look around and all their cattle are dead. But their cattle ain't dead. And so, so here's your next point. The children of Israel were slaves under the sword. They were slaves under the sword. Exodus 5.14 said, The officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters, taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and demanded, Where have you not fulfilled your task? I mean, this is not just the... In, in Scripture, sometimes you have to be careful because slave could be more of like a servant, an endangered servant, or slave could be more of what we kind of think of when we think of slave, where they're, they're owned, they're considered property, they're beaten, like the, the satanic approach of trying to own and control another person, right? That's what was going on here. The children of Israel didn't have, quote, rights under under the, uh, under the Egyptians. In verse 19, 519, it was said, Ye shall not minish aught from the bricks of your daily task. This is not uh, you know, going in and punching the time card. This was, this was a pressure. They were slaves under the sword. In, even con- continuing in 521, Ye have made our savor, so this is the leaders of the children of Israel talking to Moses, to be aboard in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. So they were beaten. We've seen in different places that, right, when Moses kills the Egyptian, it's because he was beating, right, another, uh, uh, children, uh, one of the children of Israel. So these were, these were 
not great conditions. So the Egyptians look around, their cattle are all dead, the children of Israel's cattle are fine, so they take them. They make at least some portion of them their own. Also, the children of Israel's cattle were, were valuable. Like, cattle at that point was very valuable. I don't, I'm not taking the time, but we could, we could look through a lot in, in Genesis, and I actually did take some time to do this and look at cattle through Scripture. And, it's, and I want to put a little sidebar here for just a second. Cattle can sometimes mean cows. When we think of cattle, we think of a, a group of cows, right? Boy cows, girl cows, little cows, big cows, we think of cows. Cattle is probably in scripture more synonymous with the word that we use livestock. Okay? So it could include both things that were beasts of burden, like like oxen cows, cow, uh, milk producing cows, meat producing cows, uh, horses. It could include um, camels. It could include even over into flocks in some cases like goats and sheep, okay? So it's a little bit more of a generic term than just cows, okay? That's not super important for the context today uh, because either way you look at it, whether it's just the cow kind of focus or whether it's a livestock focus, the, the illustration plays out. So the, the children of Israel's cattle were valuable. And so I'm not dogmatic. They could, have, could the Egyptians gone to their neighboring, neighboring countries and acquired cattle? Certainly. But the implication here is that the cows were replenished very quickly. The implication here is they look around, all their cows are dead, but oh yeah, they still have cows. Theirs weren't touched. You know, it's, um, I don't remember the context of this. What's mine is, is mine and what's yours is mine, right? They, they kind of had that approach with the children of Israel and probably, um, you know, just stole them, for lack of better terms. So the cows were va- valuable. Notice in Exodus 10, which we haven't got to yet, obviously the next chapter, and we'll talk more about this when we get there. But Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye serve the Lord, only let your flocks and herds be stayed. So, so Pharaoh, in this negotiation that happens, and I'm, I'm excited about getting to that, in this negotiation that happens between Pharaoh and Moses that ultimately it doesn't become fruitful, right? It, we have to go through the plague of the death of the firstborn before the children of Israel are actually able to leave. But in this negotiation, Pharaoh is basically saying, okay, you can go, but leave your flocks, well, how's he, your flocks and herds, your cattle behind, okay? That which they even still had. Which, again, the implication is there was plenty in the, under the care of the children of Israel. Just a couple of verses later, Moses in his response to Pharaoh says, our cattle shall also go with us. This is really important point. This is actually starting to peel back the layer of today's lesson more than anything else. There shall not an hoof be left behind. We're not going to leave any animal behind when we go into a, and take our journey because originally they were just going to go and sacrifice and come back. They weren't going to have this, quote, exodus. They just wanted to go out into the wilderness, three days journey, to, to commune with and sacrifice to God. Why is that important? Because, look at Moses' point. For thereof we must take to serve the Lord of our God. And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither, until we get there. 
we don't know what we got to sacrifice. We know we want to go off into the wilderness and we know we want to sacrifice to God, but God hasn't told us whether the sacrifice will be of a sheep, will be of a goat, will be of an ox or a, whore, uh, a cow. Like, we don't know that yet. We know we're going to have to sacrifice, but we don't know. Therefore, we're not leaving anything under your care, Pharaoh. We're taking it all with us. Okay? We're taking it all with us. And so this brings us to our next point. The world wants what you have, but they want it on their terms. <coughs> Pharaoh wanted those things left behind for his own personal use or his country's use, right? He didn't want it because he was like, oh, we want you to leave some behind so we can sacrifice to God too. That like didn't happen. That conversation, like, I don't know that it didn't happen, but I'm pretty sure it didn't happen. Like, Pharaoh is not concerned about the sacrifice value of a cow or a sheep or a goat or a ram, right? He was concerned about the market value or the production value of those things, right? Notice in Exodus 15, a little later, the enemy... So this is, this is actually... The, 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 go ahead and turn over to Exodus 15 for just a second. It's worth, it's worth seeing in context. In Exodus 15, the chapter is referred to as the Song of Moses. The Song of Moses. <clears throat> right? And um, we see in verse 1, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. It's actually our, kind of our reference there, although it's out of Psalms. The, the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. So this is occurring after the Red Sea miracle. Okay, The song of Moses is recorded. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him and habitation. My Father's God and I will exalt him. So th- this is a beautiful song, but jump all the way down into verse 9. Part of the song, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword and my hand shall destroy them. So literally, as part of the exodus of the children of Israel, they were taking all of their cattle, all of their livestock with them. Pharaoh, at some point, the enemy says, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. The spoil including that livestock. That was part of it. They want what you've got. The world wants... I can't tell you how many times... It's, and I don't mean that because it's only happened a couple of times. It's hap- where people in the world will say things like, I want the joy you have. And then you or I say, well, I can explain that to you. It's a relationship with Jesus. Well, I don't really want that. <laughs> well, I'm sorry... They're kind of inextricably linked. <laughs> They're kind of connected. You can't just will yourself into a better position here. You can't just think happy thoughts and have joy. Joy comes from the know, in part from knowing my sin has been taken care of and that have eternity with, with the Lord. 
and that I have purpose, that he has given me purpose. I, I'm getting older, as we all are by definition, right? But as I get older, I am seeing I, I, people that have, have been at the pinnacle of their career. Maybe they've, they've I, you know, I, I saw a commercial with, with Joe Montana trying to sell some Guinness, if I'm not mistaken. And Joe, you know what? Joe Montana was a pretty good quarterback, but that dude looks pretty old. You know? Because he, he, he is old. <laughs> and I've seen some guys, and some mostly guys in my career, who have, have ascended, and they've, they've been over really important things, and making a lot of money, and doing their, doing their stuff. And I look at them, and I'm kind of like, wow. So that's, that's it, huh? That's it. That's all they got. And, and honestly, it's kind of sad. I don't know how else to put it. But the world wants what you have if you're a believer, but they want it on their terms. Notice it, it, even further into Exodus uh, when talking about the Ten Commandments, it's kind of interesting. One of the commandments is, thou shalt not house. And, and most of the time, so like I, I Googled this, right? Because I, I, I was going to maybe do a graphic on this or whatever. And there's graphics like, you know, no other gods. And then there was a little image. And, you know, I think it was like a, like a worship thing. And then, you know, they were all, all, and I don't have them memorized, sorry. All the Ten Commandments. And the, the coveting the neighbor's house was like a bubble, like a thinking bubble on a cartoon with like a house or in a car, I think it was. In it. And, I, and I just thought, well, it's interesting because notice what's included that you shouldn't covet. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Okay, I get it. Nor his, his manservant or his maidservant, nor his ox or his ass. Like, don't, don't covet. And that's not, I mean, I think nowadays we, we, we tend to put like car in for ass because they would have ridden or it would have been like a truck to get things around. But his ox would have been like his job or his provision, right? The Lord, the Lord puts this, this definition of following him, of not coveting. That's what's going to set you apart, children of Israel, because the world covets. They're going to covet your ox and your ass, they want what you have on their terms. Even in James, and I think this is, look, I mean, the reality is the book of James is not necessarily written to the church and the church age. We apply it to, to us, and there's a lot that we can glean out of it. And as Christians, we can grab this and, and often do pull this verse out as, as, as reasonable application in our prayer life. But notice the James calls it out, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. James knew and recorded the Holy Spirit preserved for us this principle because our default setting, our human default setting, is to ask for something of the Lord for our own lusts. I mean, I, I feel comfortable in doing this. I love, I love this man dearly, but that's why you pray that Netherlands loses. <laughs> because, because that's what you want. Now, I know it's, it is just a thing. But, but we've got to be real careful with our prayer life. We've got to be real careful. 
Because we say things like, Lord, if I could just have a better job, maybe then want you to have that better job as you've defined it. Or as somebody else defined it. Or Lord, I just want the better car. Well, maybe he doesn't want you to have that better car. You've got to be real careful about your desires, okay? You don't, don't ask so that you can heap it onto your own lusts. Don't do that. You should want his purpose, his, his, his mission. So our first victory principle today, keep losses in perspective. So the cattle, some of the cattle were lost, apparently, presumably. Anything you lose, you don't need. Anything that is taken from you, look, I'm not suggesting you don't lock your doors at night. I'm not suggesting that you leave your vehicle uh, unlocked with a laptop sitting on the, in the seat. Like, if you lose that, you may have needed it. That was under the guise of stupidity, okay? Like, I'm just saying. But technically, anything you lose, anything that is taken from you, the Lord knows, the Lord saw it, and you don't need it. You don't need it. You don't even need it for the purposes of sacrifice to him. That's the cool thing about the, the cattle that were taken from the children of Israel could no longer be sacrificed to the Lord. They weren't in their possession anymore. And the Lord's like, it's okay. It's okay. So it brings us to our victory principle, or our victory. So... We're going to jump all the way over to Exodus 12. I don't know that you need to turn there because this is just point looking ahead. But notice, and the children of Israel journeyed to, from Ramses to Succoth. So this is now, as part of the Exodus, about 600,000 on foot that were men. So there were some not on foot that were men, plus women and children. So a big number of people that were in the Exodus beside children. And a mixed multitude went also uh, went up also with them, and notice, and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. So this throwaway phrase that we often don't think about in the context of the Exodus, the Lord is actually defining that he preserved enough of these cattle, both from the hail, right? Or I'm sorry, both from the death of the cattle, but then also from the hail. Even and the theft, if you will, of the Egyptians, that they had very much cattle. They had more than they needed. Okay? So that's the victory concept today. But notice, cattle were an important part of this wilderness journey. I know there's a lot of words on the, on the screen, and for that I apologize. Exodus 20, verse 10. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord thy God. So he's defining that. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle. Even the cows, even the beasts of burden, got a Sabbath day. An important part of that wilderness journey story. Exodus 34, all that openeth the matrix is mine. Every firstling among cattle, whether ox or sheep, that is male. Those were the Lord's. Leviticus 1, obviously still part of the wilderness journey, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. So it's interesting. So it wasn't just that they were supposed to go find some feral beast 
and I'm sure there was some amount of that, right? If you think about back then and, and just, just I mean, like, like there are places in the United States you can go and there are wild horses. We went on vacation. We used to live in Montana. We went on vacation one time after when we visited back up. Wild Horse Island? Wild, or Crazy Horse Island is an island and lake. Flathead Lake. Flathead Lake, which is a good-sized lake. But it's in Montana, it would kind of be like the Lake of the Ozarks here, like a little bit of a place that you might go to get away. It's not as big, but it's it's a draw. It's a it's kind of a, a way, you know, I got a cabin on Lake Flathead kind of thing, right? So, but there is a big island on Flathead Lake called Crazy Horse <laughs> Island. So, one of the things you do is you can go out on a boat and you can like pull it up and get off and walk around this island. I mean, it's not that big. It's, you could walk around it, probably walk completely around it, maybe in two hours, ballpark, maybe, maybe a little bit more. So, I mean, just, you can walk around, like, and there are, is a herd of wild sheep, right? Sheep or ran, sheep. I keep, why are you not prepared for this story? <laughs> Next time I need you to be more prepared. So there is like a herd of wild animals, not like rawr, wild, but they're just wild. There's just a herd, I think they're sheep, I think they're, they're sheep. But there are, I was getting there. Thanks for There, we didn't. So the Crazy Horse Island surprisingly also has wild horses on it. Right? Isn't that crazy? So there are places, and not just, I mean, it is kind of neat because it's this protected island. And it's big enough that it sustains that life, right? Um, but, but there are places in the southwest. And there are places, so there are. I'm sure, was times in the wilderness journey that they would come across, I don't know if the, the wild animals, feral animals, whatever it is, but the Lord is very clear. He's like, that's not what you offer to me. You offer to me of your herd, your flock. You shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. You're not going out and finding rubbish to offer, you're taking it out of the herd. Okay? He continues in Deuteronomy uh, 3. But your wives and your little ones and your cattle, for I know that ye have much cattle, shall abide in your cities which I have given you. So there is, there's a, there's, we're also going to see this again. We're going to look forward a little bit. But this concept is, I know you have much cattle, God says. I know you have much cattle. Why? Because I've taken care of it. I've, t- I've protected your herd. So this kind of, I've, I've done this a couple of times in our Exodus journey is we've got a ministry practicum. So there's a few slides that are going to be a little bit different. I think you have a box around this. This is something that I'm not speaking to everyone about. Okay. This is, this is something that I'm speaking to those who maybe are, are members here or growing in their ministry, growing in their faith. Okay. So this is not an expectation of everyone. Let me just be very clear, because we're going to talk about offering, we're going to talk about giving, okay? And I want it to be very clear, we only talk about that, um, I'm talking about it in the context of your ministry, not in the context that we need your money, okay? So let me just be very clear. The offering or sacrifice should cost you something, right? It needs to come out of your herd, 
Because if it doesn't cost you something, here's a big, here's a tweetable moment. It's not a sacrifice. Second Samuel twenty four twenty four, and the king David says uh, said unto uh, Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. He was talking about his threshing floor. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. Like David's approach was that he wasn't even going to offer something to the Lord that he didn't pay for. Now, David's not trying to whip out the, the money and show that he's king and this is the stuff. That's not the context. The context is, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to sacrifice that which doesn't cost me anything. Then it's not a gift. It's not a sacrifice. I mean, it would be real easy for me to say, hey, Tari, I need you to give me 10 bucks so I can put it in the offering plate. Like, that's... That's not my gift. That's, that's, that's technically hers. <clears throat> she was the one that was, <coughs> excuse me, in this context that would have been obedient. I was just a conduit. So it should cost you something. Notice that same story over in 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 21, 24, and King David said to Ornan, Ornan Nay, but I will verily buy it, for, uh, buy it for the full price, for I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost, right? You, so you can't sacrifice someone else's offering. I can't do that. I can facilitate you to sacrifice it, but unless I acquire it, unless it costs me something, unless I get it by possession rightfully, I can't even sacrifice it. It's a hard attitude. Big part of it. But I could have a I could have I could have a wonderful hard attitude about your stuff though. So it's not just hard attitude. Hard attitude is a huge component. You are correct. But it can't just be the heart attitude of wanting to give because I could want to do something so badly that I'm trying to compel somebody else to do it. Like, no, if it's that heart attitude, God's, God prepared you for it. Notice in, in Malachi chapter 3, this is the passage that all the pastors talk about when it's time to talk about giving, tithing. Bring ye the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. This literally allows God to manifest himself, to prove himself in your life. We had a situation, I think I've told this story before, we had this situation where, if memory serves, like I said, I'm getting older, I received a pay increase, and we had not appropriately adjusted our tithe based on that pay increase. So we were not being faithful in meeting the expectation that the Lord... Our, one of our vehicles just died one day, literally died. And I sold it, I don't know, at the time, maybe Craigslist? I don't remember how I sold it, but I sold it. And the amount that we sold the vehicle for was the exact amount that got us caught up in our tithe. And we were committed to, to catching up the tithe. Like, we, we, had, we, had, we had robbed God. Now, we did it really with a good heart attitude. And God's not... So, so somebody might paint that story. You serve a God that has his thumb on you so much that he takes his vehicle away from you 
No, 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 no. That's not how, that's not how parenting works. <laughs> Sometimes you put your kids in a situation that's uncomfortable so they learn a lesson, right? Sometimes it's a swat on the back. Sometimes they don't get what they want, right? Sometimes they get the vegetables, not the donut or whatever, right? There are times where God has to take you through a journey and God had to take us through a journey and we were blessed as a result of it. And, you, and some people look at this and they were like, well, did the windows of heaven pour out and money fall into your bank account? No, but we had a, be- a better relationship with the Lord. We knew we were being faithful and he knew he could trust us. It was a, it was a growing point. It was a lesson for us. It was that important. I can still remember that time. It was that important that we wanted to make it right. I know another story of another man who was in a position of leadership and had not been tithing. And when he was called out on that, a position of leadership, another church, another day, don't try to figure it out. When he was, when he was called on that, he emptied his 401k and made it right. He emptied his 401k to make it right. The Lord blessed him. The Lord blessed him. But notice, notice, this is, and an, I, I think I've still got time here. Notice, people always want to put financial on this. Like if you give the Lord, then he'll put it back in your bank account. Do not approach it that way. Because the last time I checked, my bank account can hold can hold a lot of money. Like, I don't, I don't even know that the banks ever said to me, Mr. Dobson, you need to stop putting money in our account. It's full. You have filled it up. Okay? Like, I am pretty sure bank accounts hold a lot of zeros. But look at what the blessing is. I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. This is not a financial blessing. It was never meant to be a financial blessing. If you're faithful to the Lord, growing leader, growing minister, he will bless you. He will bless you with purpose. He will bless you with opportunities to minister. He will bless you with joy. He will bless you with things that literally cannot be held or cannot be contained. That's how he will bless you. And notice, the offering or sacrifice, the value is placed, I'm sorry, I missed a D there, is placed on impact to you, not amount, the value. So there's parables in the Gospels. There's stories that Jesus tells. In Mark chapter 12, this is not a story. Go ahead and turn over to Mark chapter 12 because I want you to see how this story starts. It is up on the screen, but I want you to see it in Mark chapter 12 in verse 41, right? It's, it's again, it's on the screen, but this is not a parable. And Jesus sat over against the treasury. This happened. And he, Jesus, beheld how people cast money in the treasury and how many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, so that he's not just telling a story. Verily I say unto you, 
that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. Literally, herself did more than all of them together. But hers was budget dust. Hers might have been dropped on the floor. I helped with the, the coin offering, the loose change offering today. And you guys know Wyatt Marsh. I mean, Wyatt Marsh. He did announcements today. Wyatt Marsh. He works out. I was like, how many times do you work out? Six days a week, sometimes seven. Okay. All right. So Wyatt and I were carrying the coin. And Wyatt was struggling. I'm just going to say Wyatt was struggling a little. <laughs> Me too. But Wyatt was struggling. And then, and then we call. We have to get in. We have to get in the office to put it in there. And and Heather comes over, and we're like, it's sitting all right there. And we're like, Heather, can you open this door? Heather opens the door, picks it up. Like, I'm like, what just happened? Like, she gets supernatural strength or something? It was probably the size of the tubs. Our arms were were out here or something. It made it harder to carry. Where was I going with this? Oh, one of the, we might have dropped, we might have dropped a farthing. Like, we could have dropped a nickel or a dime. And if we did, I'm sorry, Lord. Like, there might be a, a, a penny somewhere in all that transition that didn't get in the offering, didn't get counted. We were even talking about the fact that when they take it to the bank to get it, Counted like banks. One of the guys that was helping us, he worked at a bank, and he's like, "Bank, those machines that count coins are not terribly accurate. They're fast, but they're not super accurate because it's not kind of worth the time." There's probably going to be a farthing or a couple of mites that aren't counted. Yet Jesus said that was literally more important than the fifty thousand dollar check that the rich guy writes. Literally, literally. Because why? Jesus isn't looking at the number of zeros in the bank account. He's looking at the impact of the giver. And this woman was literally willing to give it all. Notice in 44, For they did cast in of their abundance, in of their abundance, but she out of her want did cast in all that she had, even her living. Heart attitude. Heart attitude. No, it's all good. It's all good, sister. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, like her heart was all in. Her heart was willing to make the sacrifice. Her heart was willing to make the sacrifice. Okay, thank you. Thanks for sticking with it. Because I'm not. I'm thick sometimes. I'm thick-headed sometimes. I'm not. Don't try to change that. Like I'm thick-headed sometimes. Okay. Hey, amen. And thank you for clarifying. But look, all even all her living. Like, she didn't know where she was going to get money for her next meal. But the Lord was literally worth it. That she gave it all. Wow. Alright, so, back to our, to our victory in Exodus. Cattle were an important part of the possession of the land. We actually saw this one. But your wives and your little ones and your cattle, for I know ye have much cattle, shall abide in your cities which I've given you. He's actually looking forward. He's talking about when they possess the land. So it was given while they were on the journey, but it was forward-looking with respect to the land. Notice in, in Joshua 1. Now these, these are just, hear me out, these are a little bit awkward, but they give a glimpse of why cattle are important. So the two tribes, two and a half tribes that don't go in, 
in Joshua chapter 1. He says, Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of Jordan, but ye shall pass before your armed brethren, or your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them. So they still had to go in and fight, but he's, he's literally describing that, the, that those that were staying on the other side of Jordan, their cattle was with them, right? So, I mean, I think it's kind of interesting that there's three things that he's, that God through Joshua here is saying, your wives, your little ones, and your cattle. Like that's, that's pretty elevated importance. In Joshua 7, we see in the story of Achan, right? And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and his garment and the wedge of gold, the stuff he sold, stole, right? And his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them into the valley of Achor and ultimately, you know, executed them. So cattle was an important part of life, Right. So, victory principle number two. Remain faithful to the Lord, and he will supply sufficiency. He will supply, and sometimes the supply is protecting. In this context, he protected it from the Egyptians. And in our last two verses, again, not from our passage, but for our for edification, looking way forward, not only are they in the land, they've built a temple... And King Solomon is dedicating that temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 4. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 20 and 2,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. I don't know, like we're not here to track the lineage of cows and that sort of thing. But those cows came from that which the Lord protected. That is a huge sacrifice. Huge sacrifice. We see in Luke chapter 6, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together. Make sure you start with that first part. Give. Make sure that you don't try to hold it back. Make sure that you don't fight the Egyptians and say, hey, don't steal my cattle. Those are for the Lord. Like, if, if, the, if the lost man comes in, the lost world comes in and steals that which is supposed to be sacrificed to the Lord, they steal your tithe. The Lord knew that. Tithe anyway. You were just about to give, you were just about to sell this car or this, I don't know, sell this thing on, on eBay or whatever and give it to Giving Tuesday for the fatherless, but somehow it gets stolen, it gets otherwise taken from you. Well, you made that commitment, fulfill it. I don't know what it is the Lord's called you to give. Maybe it's dollars, I don't know. Like, I'm not begging for dollars for resources this church. This church... The, we, are, we are, from a giving perspective, we are doing great relative to our budget. Doing great. And I'm not saying that so that you don't give. I'm saying that because the Lord clearly has trusted the resources in this place to spread the gospel. Please, please don't mishear me. This is not about finances. This is about the fact that the Lord has given you something and what it is that you're supposed to sacrifice, that you're supposed to give to him, he will sustain it in your life. He will bless you. 
and I am not about to preach a social gospel. I saw the thing on TV about Oral Roberts and how that dude would could raise money. Oof. And I'd ho- totally forgotten about his his tower and his thing where he was like, God's supposed to, you're supposed to give like, a, I don't know, a million bucks or whatever, 10 million bucks, or otherwise the Lord's going to take me away. And it's like, oh my gosh, take him away, Lord. That's what I would have prayed. <laughs> like, I mean... This is not about that. This is about making sure your relationship with the Lord is in a place where he can trust you with resources and he knows you're going to give them back. Like, I can trust my wife with our our resources. I trust her because she's proven that she's not just going to go be frivolous with it. I would like to think the same. I do believe the Lord has trusted us with resources because we have given. Sam has a has a great thing. Like, unfortunately, one of the pastors in a, the fellowship, one of the fellowship uh, churches, his mother passed away, and so there was a discussion on the chat. Well, we should send flowers. So so Deb looks on and sees that he's. They, they're asking for money to go, I think, to the church or to the missions, missions program, uh, missions ministry at their church or something. I don't remember the details. And so she said, appropriately, Deb says to the, to the staff, should I do flowers or should I make a donation? And Sam, this is the kind of pastor you have. Do both. Like you can never outgive God. You can never outgive God. Don't hold back. Throw both mites in that make up a farthing. He literally will take care of you. In the nation of Israel, he was pulling them out of slavery. And it would have been very easy for them to be like, wait a minute, we need those. We need those. And God's like, I've got this. I've got this. Please don't hold back from the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, um, we thank you for this lesson. I, I pray, Lord, that it didn't come across as pulling something out of Scripture that wasn't there. It looks to me like you totally protected the children of Israel from their cattle being not not uh, sustaining loss during the, the plague of the, the death of the cattle, but then also the fact that the Egyptians appear to have taken it and the, that, that there is then an, a subsequent um, plague that requires a conditional response. And I'm, I'm looking forward to how you'll use that in our lives, Lord, in the future. But Lord, let me just, just beg you, let me just be just abundantly transparent with you Lord I would I would ask you to teach these folks what I cannot Lord teach them to trust you teach them to sacrifice to you because you will provide you'll take care of I have never met anyone Lord who's gotten poor because they have given too much Lord please 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 help these folks to realize that they need to lay their whole life on the altar that this is not about an offering, this is not about a collection, this is not about coins or, or dollar bills or checks or whatever, that this is about people who, like the Macedonians, were willing of themselves to sacrifice. And, and Lord, just help us to live a life where we are a living sacrifice to you. We thank you, Lord. We trust you the, for the work that you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great, great day.